Our scripture reading is taken from the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of today's scripture. Jesus says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved you, has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. Some of you may remember me telling you about the RV trip that our family took a few years ago for uh, one of a, a graduation celebration for some of our children. And it was a wonderful trip, uh, but everything that could go wrong with the RV did go wrong. Not mechanically, we're thankful for that. We didn't have brake problems or engine problems, but all the systems inside, the refrigerator, the electricity, the toilet, everything. And I think the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say, happened uh, our first night at Yellowstone National Park. And I think it was one of the first times that we used the shower in the RV. So we're about halfway through the trip and we're all pretty worn out. And one of the kids was in the shower and I walk outside and I look and there's just water pouring out of the RV. And I'm thinking, that's not right. That's not supposed to happen. And so it was kind of discouraging after everything else that had happened. And so we were headed to my brother's in Denver uh, for a little respite, we changed our plans a little bit, went there a day early, and while we were there, we went to look at it. We removed the panel from under the shower, and the drain pipe was not even connected to the tank. It's just sitting there, open. And I was wondering, how in the world did that happen, right? You might as well just take a bucket and fill it with water and stand in the middle of the RV and pour it over your head over and over again. That's basically what happened. Who does that? Who was the last person to see that and think, that's okay, I can leave it like that. No problem. And yet, don't so many of us try to live our lives like that? Now follow here me for a moment. We try to live our lives completely disconnected from Jesus, the source of life. And we think there's nothing wrong with that. 
completely disconnected from the one who gives us life. But you cannot live the Christian life. In fact, you cannot live life the way God, the author of life, the creator of life, the way he designed, if you're not connected to Jesus, united to Jesus, if you do not abide in Jesus. Here in John chapter 15, we hear some of the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. He's preparing them for life in his absence, so to speak. He's about to ascend to heaven following his death and resurrection. And so he's preparing them for this life where they won't see him face to face anymore. He won't be with them in the same way, though he will be with them, we saw last week, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But these are important words he's sharing with them. And what we learn from these words is this, to live a fruitful Christian life that glorifies God and that leads to fullness of joy You must abide in Jesus, the true vine. To live a fruitful Christian life that glorifies God, that leads to fullness of joy, you must abide in Jesus, the true vine. There's no other way. So Jesus uses this metaphor of the vine and the branches to make it clear to us that there is no life, no life at all apart from him. But when we are united to Jesus by faith, his life, his love, his joy is ours it's ours beloved so this morning we'll consider this metaphor in three parts first jesus as the true vine then the father as the vine dresser and then we'll ask that important question what does it mean to abide in jesus if this is essential what does it mean so first jesus is the true vine and the old testament the bible often refers to god's people israel as the vine the vineyard But Israel failed to produce the fruit that God desired. So, for example, we read in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. He's distinguishing himself from sinful, failing Israel. Where Israel yielded wild grapes, bloodshed, injustice, sin, tyranny, idolatry, Jesus, the true vine, yielded the fruit of love and righteousness and faithfulness. So Jesus did what Israel failed to do. And Jesus has done what we have failed to do. Jesus always did what pleased the Father. He is the true vine that produces life, and we must be connected to him if we are to bear fruit, the righteousness that God requires. So the first important truth to take away from this metaphor is that Jesus is the true vine, and there is no life outside of Jesus. He brings true life and true love and true joy. Second, Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. God the father is the vine dresser. He's the one who works in the vineyard. And Jesus tells us that there are two important works that the father does as he cultivates life in the vine. He takes away and he prunes. He takes away and he prunes. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So God takes away and he prunes. He takes away fruitless branches. But what does that mean? Does that mean that you can be in Christ? You can be in the vine. You can be a true Christian. And if you don't obey enough, if you're not good enough, that God will cut you out of the family. You'll lose your salvation. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. Absolutely not. Now, wait a minute, Troy. It sure sounds like it. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, what do we do? We interpret scripture with scripture. We look at this text in the context. When I was in Bible college, I I heard a good little phrase. A text without a context is a con. Remember that. It's easy to remember, right? A text without a context is a con. So we, we interpret scripture with scripture. We look at the text in the context, and we also consider the clear teaching of the rest of scripture. So what's the context? What does the in me mean here in verse 2? And remember, this is a metaphor. So you have to be careful when you're taking truths from a metaphor that you don't go too far. But also Jesus is speaking in these terms of the metaphor. And we look in verse 6 and he clarifies the in me when he says, if anyone does not abide in me. And we'll get to that in a moment. But that can help us see what Jesus is talking about. And then if we expand our context beyond just this immediate passage to the rest of John's Gospels. What's John been teaching us in his Gospel? We find that John has labored, he has worked hard to make it clear, crystal clear, that the true believer can never lose her salvation. Once you are a child of God, you are always a child of God. And we read two of those passages in our Gospel of of Christ this morning. From John chapter 6, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. So these are some of the strongest, some of the clearest statements in the Gospel of John. Beloved, if you are in Christ, you are safe. You are secure in his strong, loving hands. John's gospel makes it clear. If you are in, you're always in. You cannot be in and then out. If you're truly in the vine, in Christ, you're always in. But John's gospel also makes it clear that not all disciples are true disciples. Not all who say they believe truly believe. And we've seen that powerfully in the life of Judas. But not only in Judas. Jesus clarifies again, back to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now in the Bible, fire is a reference to judgment, to eternal judgment. But who is Jesus talking about here? Who does the Father take away? Who is thrown into the fire it's not those who abide in jesus it is not the true children of god they are safe forever but it is those who appear to know christ to be in christ they look like they appear to be abiding in him there's there are those who looked like they were in so the point is this jesus is warning of eternal judgment here the fire of hell But he's not speaking to those outside the church. But those within. 
You are near. You are close. You may look like you're part of the vine, part of the family, but if you do not bear fruit, you show that you're not truly united to Jesus. You do not abide in him. And Jesus says, the Father will take you away. Instead of hearing, well done, you will hear those awful words, depart from me, I never knew you. So friend, this is a sober warning to those who are within the church. Hear it this morning. And if it applies to you, heed it. Repent of your sin. Thank God that he has opened your eyes to this need this morning and trust and believe in Jesus today. But if you are a child of God, you are truly in the vine, not by your works, but by trusting in the work of Jesus alone, then this warning is not for you. And instead, I would urge you to hear the comfort of the gospel, that God will prune you. He will work in your life and you will bear fruit. You will glorify glorify God. You will know his love and his joy and you'll have his very life within you. Hear the comfort, the encouragement for those who are in Christ. Beloved, I believe that each one of you is more fruitful than you know, more fruitful than you believe. God is at work in your life for his glory. And we as his people need to start going on fruit hunts. Or I've been telling the elders lately, we need to go on grace hunts together. We need to start looking more and more for the good in one another, the fruit, that display of God's grace and glory in and through your life. It's there. And we want to see it and encourage one another to tell one another so we can build one another up and so that God is glorified. This is the work of God in our lives. Potagers aren't here this morning, but Dean Potager, five years old, shared his birthday cake with me. That is an incredible sacrifice to make. It's an incredible fruit of love. I see fruit in his life. I see fruit in the levies lives, Zach and Johanna faithfully teaching their children. And it's a joy to see Sam and Owen, these young boys, memorizing scripture together. And they'll share it with me, send me videos of Sam saying and Owen saying the word of God. There's fruit in their lives. That's the work of God in their lives for his glory and for our joy and encouragement. Beloved, you are more fruitful than you know. And you will bear even more fruit because the Father prunes. He prunes so that we can bear more fruit. Now someone who knows what they're doing as pruning a plant, someone who knows what they're doing, it's not me, but someone who knows what they're doing, they can prune a plant, a grapevine, so the result is what? It's more and better fruit. They're an expert at it. With precision, they remove dead branches, the overgrown areas, or even ones that can cause it to grow in the wrong direction or maybe too close to the plant that's next to it. And what's the result? More fruit and better fruit. God is the expert at pruning our lives. There's no one better. There's no one more wise. There's no one more loving. There's no one more kind or more gentle but it doesn't mean the pruning doesn't hurt, right? By very definition, pruning is a 
taking away, a cutting away, a removal. So what does God do? He prunes what we thought was vital to our lives, things that keep us from depending on Jesus. This is the work of our loving Heavenly Father. He providentially ordains all the events of our lives, and some of them are painful and difficult, but they are designed not for our destruction, but for our growth and for his glory, for our good. His pruning work in our lives increases our dependence on Jesus, and it enables us to bear more fruit to the glory of God. And the fruit that trees bear is not for themselves, right? Children, have you ever seen an apple tree take an apple off its branches and eat it? What is Troy talking about? Now, I know in Lord of the Rings that the trees can talk and they can walk, but I don't remember them ever eating. If you're an expert in the Lord of the Rings and I'm wrong, you talk to me afterwards. But trees don't bear fruit for themselves, and neither do we. The fruit you bear is not for yourself. God produces fruit in and through you that he might be glorified and that others might benefit. The gospel will be spread. The kingdom will grow. Other, vines, other branches will be grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true vine and God is the vine dresser. God takes away fruitless branches and he prunes fruitful branches. He cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. So think about that. If God is pruning our lives, what's he doing? He's changing us. He's making us more like Jesus. He's removing sinful affections and desires and actions and replacing them with holy ones. You, you've all heard that saying, right? Be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. You know, it, it may be a trite saying, but it's true. And it speaks to how we are to treat one another. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4. He encouraged us to walk worthy of our calling. How? with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What's he saying? Put up with one another as God works in your lives. Bear with one another as God does his pruning work. Beloved, you are more fruitful than you know, and you are also more sinful than you know. This is true of all of us where we see the good, the fruit, give thanks to God and encourage one another. And where we see the bad, the need for pruning, bear with one another in love. God is at work. We are more fruitful than we know and we will be even more fruitful in the days to come. Glory to God, he's working in our lives. We are also more sinful than we know, but we are also already clean already clean verse 3 Jesus says already right after talking about the pruning work already you are clean what is Jesus saying he's saying there's work to do in your life that God's going to do for his glory to make you more holy and yet already even though you need that work done in your life, already you are loved and accepted by my Father. Already all your sins are forgiven because I will die in your place. Already 
You have been made children of God. Already you are abiding in the vine. So beloved, you do not get clean by what you do. Bearing fruit doesn't make you clean. You do not get clean by the works you do, by the fruit in your life. There's no pressure to perform. We do not earn salvation by works. You are made clean by Jesus Christ alone. And then God works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. How does this happen? How are we made clean? Verse 3, Jesus said, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And the word that Jesus had spoken to them is the gospel the good news of who he is and what he would do to save them from their sins. And we have heard this good word all throughout the Gospel of John, especially in those I am statements that Jesus has made. There's seven of them. Today we saw and heard the seventh one. It began in John chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. When, when the disciples had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, Do not be afraid, I am, I am. And he repeated it in John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was revealing who he was. He was identifying himself with God's self-revelation to Moses in Exodus chapter three, when God said, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so while we are absolutely dependent on Jesus, Jesus does not need us at all. He is not dependent on us. He is the self-existent, eternal God in the flesh. And then later in John 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just as God fed and sustained his people in the Old Testament with bread from heaven, Jesus now is the true bread from heaven, the true food and nourishment that we need for eternal life. John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so just as God led his people through the nighttime wilderness and the pillar of fire, now Jesus has come, God in the flesh, to lead his people as the light of the world, to lead all who believe in him to eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the true shepherd of God's sheep. He will lay down his life for their salvation, for our salvation. John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. He does what only God can do. And it's a foreshadowing of his own resurrection from the dead, where he defeats sin and death and the devil. And then more recently, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus said this as he's about to go to the cross to die for their sins, as he's about to go to the grave to rise again from the dead. Jesus is saying, it's through my perfect life. It is through his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection alone that the way is made to God. A sure way, the only way, and he is the true vine. Where Israel failed, where we fail, he is faithful. It is all these words of truth that Jesus has spoken. Beloved, it is because of him, because of his word that you are clean. 
not what you do, what he has done. Who he is, that is what makes you clean. And that is what brings you into his family, forgives you of your sins and makes you whole. And it's by believing this word, by faith in Jesus Christ, that you are connected to Jesus, the true vine. This is how you're brought into the family of God. And this is how you are enabled to live as a child of God. Jesus then goes on and he says in verses four and five, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This abiding is essential. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, if we think just about what the the word means by definition, to abide means to remain, to stay, to live in. Jesus is saying that we must continue in a daily personal relationship with him. If we think about what the definition actually means, as we think about it in practice, simply put, to abide in Jesus means to depend on him. To depend on him. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But when you abide in Jesus, you are united to the source of life. This is a living, organic relationship. It's continual. It's constant. It's not like charging your phone. Most of us know what that's like, right? You you plug it into the power source, then you unplug it, and it operates on battery power, but soon enough, the battery drains away, and you have to plug it in again. You have to charge it again. Beloved, we have no battery power on our own. Apart from Jesus, we're like a dead phone. It cannot operate. It cannot work as designed. It has no power. We have no life apart from Jesus. But once we're united to Jesus, we are always connected to the vine, the source of life and love and joy. To abide in Jesus is to believe this, and it's to cultivate this relationship with Christ. But again, how do we do that? Well, there are three clues in this text that we'll take. First, we believe the gospel. We believe the gospel. We place our faith in Jesus. This unites us to Christ. God grants us the faith that creates the bond, the union. God unites us to Jesus by faith, and so we are in the vine, and nothing we do can ever sever that bond. Thanks be to God. Nothing we do can ever sever that bond. We do abide in Jesus. This is true, and now Jesus says, live out this reality. This is what I've done in your life. Now live it. Be who you are. So if abiding in Jesus means to depend on Jesus, the first step is to believe, to remember every day all are needy. And I'm included in the all. I am needy every day. I'm absolutely dependent upon Jesus. So beloved, continue to believe the gospel. Don't stray from the gospel. Continue to recognize your need for Jesus. We are nothing. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. This is the starting point. It's the foundation, the daily reality. And then believing, cultivate this living relationship with Jesus. 
If any of you have good friends, you know that friendship doesn't just happen. We don't just fall into it by accident. To build a good friendship, you have to invest in it. That means that you choose to do certain things. You make a decision. You give priority. You give time to friendship. And the same is true of abiding in Jesus. You spend time with Jesus. You seek to enjoy fellowship with him. You choose to do certain things. You make time for certain things, daily habits, practices. We might even call them liturgies that shape us, that give priority to our relationship with Jesus. And these practices are centered around the word and prayer. They're centered around these ordinary means of grace that God has given to us, the word and prayer. To abide in Jesus, yes, we first believe. And second, I would say we meditate on the word of God day and night. We meditate on the word of God day and night. Look at verse seven. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Beloved, God's word is a gift. These words are your life. Eat this book, the scripture says. Jesus said in Matthew 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We cannot live without this book. We live by it. So do whatever it takes to get this word in your heart and in your mind. There are so many resources available today. Do whatever it takes. But one of the best ways to have the word of Christ abide in you is through meditation. Eugene Eugene Peterson says that meditating on God's word is like what a dog does with a bone. I don't know how many of you have dogs. You've heard about our dog, Rosa. We don't often give her a bone, but if we do, you don't want to be near her when she has the bone. She, She goes off by herself and she just will sit there and gnaw on it and chew on it for for hours on end, it seems like. Do we do that with the word of God? Do we make time to meditate on the word of God? Now, you can do this on the go. You don't have to sit still to do it. And I know some of you, especially maybe when you're a a mother of young, young children, you think, I don't have hours to just sit there. But you can do it on the go, right? You put God's word in your mind and your heart. You can do it when you walk. You can do it when you run. You can do it when you're driving. You can do it when you're doing the dishes or changing dirty diapers. You can do it when you're laying in bed. You can think about the word of God. In our Sunday school class, we're memorizing 1 John 4.19. If you know it, how about you say it with me? We'll practice right here. 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. There's a simple phrase from the scriptures. We love because he first loved us. Think about that. Meditate on that. When did Jesus love us? Before we loved him, he loved us first. He loved us when we were his enemies, the Bible says. How did Jesus love us? First John 3, 16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. How did Jesus love us? He laid down his life for us. How are we to love? We're to love in the same way that he loved us. And how are we able to love? We love because, because he first loved us. It's only by receiving his love that we are able to love others. So let us love one another as he loved us. Let's take that initiative. You don't wait for someone to love you first. Lay down your life for one another. Sacrificial love. Think about that word and let it change 
your life and bear fruit in your life. Meditate on the word of God. Think about what it means. And when you do that, God will bring it to your mind to bear fruit in your life. It will help you turn from sin and walk in obedience. It will comfort you. It will give you hope. And when you can't remember anything else, you will still abide in Jesus and remember his word. I've told you recently about my father who has Lewy body dementia, and so he's dying. It's, it's, it's a, a slow but a steady decline. And thankfully, it's been slow, and he still recognizes us, knows our names. We're very thankful for that. But I just saw him on Thursday, and you know, each time it's a little less where you can hardly talk with him. He, he can't speak very well. His, his volume is very low now. And he hardly makes sense. Has lots of hallucinations. So you, you can't really carry on a conversation with him hardly at all. So I was over there on Thursday. It's a beautiful day. And he can't walk. I put him in his wheelchair and I take him outside. And I just say, it's a, it's a beautiful day. And then almost kind of without even thinking, I just say, that the Lord has made. And my dad says, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so I say, okay, well, let's play this game. Let's try this. And so I say, for all have sinned. And my dad says, and fall short of the glory of God. And so I say, the wages of sin is death. And my dad says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I say, but God demonstrates his own love for this, for us in this. And my dad says, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I say, the Lord is my shepherd. And my dad goes off. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Beloved, the word of God is a gift. If you want to abide in Jesus, meditate on his word. You may not have dementia someday, but there will come a day when the circumstances of this life take your breath away and you can't even think straight. And it's then the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind those truths that you have meditated upon and they will be your life and they will give you the strength that you need. Meditate on his word. Then third, this meditation, it leads to a third way that we can abide in Jesus. Yes, we believe the gospel. Yes, we meditate on his word so his word abides in us. And then also we abide in Jesus through prayer. Verse seven goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Beloved, when God's word abides in you, as you are meditating on the word of God, it naturally flows out in prayer. And you begin to value what God values. You begin to ask for what he desires. The word of God does that in our lives. It, it trains and it purifies our desires so that we want what God wants. And then the real reward of prayer becomes not simply getting what we ask, but getting God himself. Communion with God the Father. We enjoy God. We grow in trusting God our desires conform to his and then we bear much fruit and become more and more like Jesus and as we abide in the word of God as we enjoy communion with God we come to know the love that Jesus has for us 
we abide in his love and we obey his commandments. Someone once complained to John Bunyan. Some of you know he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. He also wrote an autobiography of his salvation, his his Christian testimony. It has a wonderful title, God's Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. It's a wonderful title. But people complain to him, John, you can't keep telling people how much God loves them. If you keep telling God's people, if you keep telling people how much God loves them, they're going to do whatever they want. They're concerned that people would just live a licentious life. But John Bunyan said, oh no. Oh no, not God's people. We could also add, not those who are abiding in the vine. Oh no, not God's people. You tell God's people how much God loves them, they will do whatever he wants. Amen? Why? Why will we do that? Because we are abiding in him and he in us. His words are abiding in us. We are abiding in his love and he has given us his joy. Beloved, life and joy are found in Jesus alone. We are desperate for him. Our world is desperate for him. Those who abide in Jesus, we've learned. Haven't we learned that doing whatever we want apart from him, this sinful rebellion and disobedience, it never results in true joy? Do we not learn that lesson? It only increases our sorrow. Beloved, Jesus was about to leave his disciples and they needed encouragement. They needed comfort. They needed hope just as we do today. And Jesus spoke these things for their joy. He spoke them for our joy. There is no way that they could live without him. There's no way that we can live without him. So Jesus said, I am the true vine. Abide in me. Where Israel failed, where you fail, I will not fail. I am the faithful one. So beloved, abide in Jesus, the true vine. There's no other way to life. May his word, his life, his joy abide in you. And so may we bear fruit to the glory of God. Amen.